That was good, guys. Thank you for that. We're in the book of Luke, the book of Luke. Luke chapter 17 this morning is where we are going to be. So Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, this was a subject that I actually preached on uh, 10 years ago when we were trying to get into this building that we're in now, and I just thought it was appropriate um, And Lord just laid it on my heart as we are trying to get into that next building, that next phase, next place that we're going to. And today uh, ought to be a huge step in that on the Today's I Love My Church Sunday. So Luke chapter 17, we're going to begin reading in verse number 11. So Luke chapter 17, verse number 11, and you all are itching to stand up. So let's go ahead and stand in reverence to God's word this morning. Luke chapter 17 Beginning in verse number 11, the word of God says that it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? They're not found that return to give God glo- to give glory to God, save this stranger. I'm going to preach this morning on the ungrateful nine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we ask now that you would be with all that is said and done here today, Lord God. Again, we thank you for all the ministries that are going on, and we do pray that you would just bless this message. Father God, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know Christ as their Savior, Lord, that should cause them to see their need this morning. Father God, that each and every one of us would realize how grateful we ought to be for what you have done for us. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. You know, in modern day Christianity, it's easy to see that the benefits of Christianity have actually become the purpose for many people, while the true purpose of Christianity has kind of gone undone, gone overlooked, if you will. You know, at the very core of Christianity is the realization that we are lost in our sins and hopelessly doomed. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 12 reminds us that at that time, ye were without Christ. So this is to the saved and and, uh, reminding us of what we were before we were saved. He says that at that time, ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was our lot before we came to know Christ as personal Savior. Having no hope, the Bible says, and we were without God in this world. 
My, what a sad state of affairs indeed. To have no hope, but that's what we are without God. Without Christ, without accepting him as Savior, without knowing uh, the Redeemer, we are completely and utterly without hope. But the idea is that once we realize our sins, come to grips with the hopelessness of our situation, and call upon the Lord to save us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, boy, we should with all gratitude serve him. You see, that's the gospel realizing our lost condition, knowing that we are in darkness, but that the light of the world has come. The forgiver of sins has taken our place on the cross, and we can be saved. You know, the natural response to that ought to be gratitude. Man, I'm willing to serve him. I want to serve him. I want to show him how grateful I am for what he has done. But serving God, it's not a condition of Christianity. It ought to be a natural result of Christianity. Too many Christians that have called on Jesus and received his wondrous grace, however, now make demands of him as though he ought to be the one grateful that we allowed him to save us. We gave him the opportunity to come into our hearts. And, you know, many of us live our lives as though, you know, I, I do everything that I'm supposed to, and, and yet things still don't go right. And, you know, the reason that we can say that and complain about that is because we believe God owes us. When the truth of the matter is, God owes us nothing. We owe him Everything. That's why Romans chapter 12 says when we present our bodies a living sacrifice and wholly acceptable unto God, that's our reasonable service. That's just gratitude. That's just showing our reverence to him. In Revelation chapter 4, verse number 11, we are reminded, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. And so, why do we serve God? And why, uh, why are we constantly reminded we ought to serve God? We ought to serve God with all our heart and our soul and our mind and, and our strength. Well, it's because He's worthy. He's honorable. Because He's done so much. And when you combine Revelation chapter 4, verse number 11, thou art worthy, with Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5, which says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And so now the word of God tells us this is the frame of mind that we ought to have. This is how we as Christians ought to think, and it ought to be our natural thinking just because of all that he's done for us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, he set the example. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You get the true purpose of Christianity. 
when you combine those two verses, thou art worthy because you willingly became a servant and was obedient to the death of the cross. Therefore, this is the mindset that we ought to have. You know, Jesus became a servant for the purpose of souls being saved. There were definite benefits to Jesus become a servant and walking on this earth. Definite benefits to mankind. Namely, the blind received their sight, the lame walked, the lepers were cleansed, the deaf heard, the dead were raised up, and the poor had the gospel preached to them. There are natural benefits to Christianity. But that is not the purpose of Christianity. The purpose of Christianity is that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And once the lost are found, they ought to find him worthy of glory and honor and praise and servitude and humility and reverence. In our text, the Lord's puzzled expression and pointed question about the ungrateful nine who went along their merry way after the life-altering experience brought on by biblical principles It demands consideration. Where are the nine? Jesus asked. There's only one that has come back to do that which is natural, to bring glory and honor and to find God worthy. I want you to notice the wording here in Luke chapter 17 here. Luke chapter 17. The Bible tells us in verse number 15 One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And this man was a Samaritan. Boy, that ought to just be the natural reaction to those who are truly saved. So I want to consider four things this morning about this entire incident. And I want us to consider four things about the ungrateful nine and that last man who actually came back. The first thing that I want you to consider is their their, uh, their fortuitousness. Their uh, fortuitousness. That simply means it's uh, uh, the, the quality of a happening and by lucky chance. And now I know that this was not by chance. Even though you read it, it's, well, by chance. They happen, to, they happen to be in the same place Jesus was. We know Jesus doesn't do anything by accident. Nothing happens by chance. But just for sake of argument, I want you to look at how fortunate they are to have this chance meeting with Jesus. Jesus came to them in their town. The Bible says in verse number 12, and as he entered into a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. This is the great thing about our Savior. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Back in the 70s, there used to be this bumper sticker that said, I found it, and it was about finding Jesus, finding religion, finding Christ. The truth of the matter is none of us have ever found Christ. Jesus finds us. He came to seek and to save. 
I can tell you from my own personal experience and my own personal testimony that when my family came to know Christ as personal Savior, first my parents and then us as kids, we weren't looking for Jesus. As a matter of fact, as kids, we were just looking for the next weekend where we could be out of school and have fun. And I'd probably say the same about my parents, looking for that next weekend, reaching for that next beer, lighting that next cigarette. My parents were not looking for Jesus. We were not looking for Jesus. But thank the Lord, Jesus was looking for us. And he reached us. You know, I was thinking about this today, all the things that came together so that I could come to know Christ as personal Savior and how that a church was founded in Everett, Washington the year I was born. And the year that I was born, that church was founded and that church was started. And of course, we know that God uses a man to start a church, but God starts the church. And that church began to grow. And about eight years after I was born, the pastor came to our house and led my mom and dad to the Lord. Through the process of time, I came to know Christ as my Savior. My brothers came to know Christ as Savior. And all that, and I know that wasn't the only reason, but you know, my path was because God sought me. Before the year I was born, there was not a Bible-believing independent Baptist church in Everett, Washington. I had no idea, obviously, that I was ever going to live in Everett, Washington, nor that I was going to go to a church in Everett, Washington and be saved in that church. But all the things that came together so that I could be saved, it's obvious, Jesus sought me. And praise the Lord for that. Romans chapter 3, verse number 10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. If you're here this morning and you know Christ as your personal Savior, trust me, it's not because you sought Jesus. You may say, well, you know, actually I did because I knew that something was missing in my life. And, and I went to church one day and I came to know Christ. So actually I was seeking him. No, he drew, he drew you to him. Scripture is very clear. The only way that we can come to know Christ is through the drawing of the Holy Spirit. And think of all the things that came together. So that you could be saved. Well, preacher, it was a no-brainer for me. I was born and raised in a Christian home. Well, then God used your parents to bring Jesus or bring you to the Lord. Jesus sought you. This face-to-face -face meeting with God in our text here was made possible by God. Because he came into a certain village. And there met him ten lepers who stood afar off. When was the last time you considered your meeting with the Lord? Your chance meeting, if you will. The good fortune, the blessing that it was. 
Are you thankful for all the circumstances that he caused to come about so you could have that meeting, so that you could be saved? Have you considered all the things you did to prevent it from happening? Because many of us, we place all kinds of obstacles between us and the Savior, and yet the Lord still breaks those barriers down to seek and to save that which was lost. My, what a blessing. Jesus came into our town, and we were able to cry out to him, Have mercy on us. But not only do I want you to consider their fortuitousness, I want you to consider their their features. Once again, looking at these, these ten men, the nine who were ungrateful, the Bible tells us, all the Bible tells us about them is this, that there were ten of them. All ten of them had leprosy. All ten of them stood afar off. All ten of them in verse number 13 had nothing to offer him, but were beggars themselves saying, please give to us. Simply means they had nothing to offer. They didn't have anything to offer man, let alone Jesus. You know, as you think about this, have you ever had something offered to you? And maybe it's something that you would like, but you don't want that one. Maybe someone offers you a car, but it doesn't run. (laughs) It has zero features. I remember when we first moved here, my wife and I were offered a house. But it wasn't a house anyone would want. And I can remember... They told us, you know, we just want to be a blessing to you. We want to offer you our house. And took one look at that house. And I said, thanks, but no thanks. You'd have to pay me to take this house. I mean, it is, it's it's not clean. It doesn't have anything. I mean, I might as well be sleeping out under the stars, and it might be cleaner, actually. We'll look at the features It's got no features to offer me. And yet, here come these lepers and they say, Jesus, do you want us? Well, man didn't even want them. I mean, they were castaways. Notice the Bible says they stood afar off. That's what lepers had to do. Because some forms of leprosy were contagious. And you didn't know if this was it or not. And they couldn't even live inside of the town. They had to live outside of the camp. They had to live away from people. When people came close to them, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, unclean. That means stay away, stay away. Don't get close. They had no nothing to offer man. And here is God in the flesh. And they say, Jesus, do you want us? And here's the thing about our Savior, though. We have nothing to offer him. These lepers represent every single one of us. What could we possibly offer the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Can we offer him talent? He created talent. Can we offer him finances, money? Boy, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Can we offer him knowledge? 
He created the heaven and the earth in six days. What could we possibly offer him? Do you want us? And Jesus says, absolutely, I want you. Absolutely, I want you. They stood afar off. What do we have to offer? It's so backwards today when you consider that most of us subconsciously feel like God really scored when he got us. Remember years ago, we had this family and they wanted to leave the church. And so they were out looking at other churches and they finally came back and and he said, Pastor, you know, I've been thinking about it. And this church really needs us. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. How, and this is the whole reason for I Love My Church Sunday. This church does not need any of us. Honestly. You see, Jesus said that he could take the, the rocks and they could praise him. They could cry out. He could take a rock and make it the most talented uh, thing imaginable. He created us out of the dust of the earth. What could he do with a rock? I am grateful to be the pastor of this church because this church can do just as well and maybe better without me. And I think that we all need to come to the realization This church is an opportunity for me to glorify and honor God, not an opportunity for this church to have someone talented or wealthy or good-looking. Some of us, that's all we can do, but nonetheless. But what do we have to offer God? None of us can hold a candle to David spiritually, And yet David says in the Psalms, Psalms chapter 8, verse number 3. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. Sure, he had faults, but then he also had talents. He wrote the greatest songbook ever known, the book of Psalms, most of it. And yet he said this in one of his Psalms, in Psalms chapter 8, verse number 3. He says, when I consider thy heavens... Because I think even David came to a point sometimes where he thought, what would Israel ever do without me? I mean, I I defeated the Philistine. We all battle with pride, do we not? And I think that at times even David got a little heady and a little prideful. Man, this... This kingdom could never make it without me. But then God would bring him back down to earth. And in Psalms chapter 8, verse number 3, the psalmist writes, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. He says, What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? David said, you know, when I get to thinking, it's just not fair. God, why are you allowing this to happen? He says, I just look up and I say, who am I to talk to him like that? He's numbered all the stars. We're still trying to number them. He created the heaven, the earth, the moon, the lights, the things that he ordained set into place. And and there they go. 
The moon never loses course. The earth never loses course. The sun doesn't move. It's amazing how this machine works. And it's all because of God. Isaiah dedicated his life to the Lord. Yet in Isaiah chapter 64, verse number 6, he says this, We are all as an unclean thing. I don't know, you'd be hard-pressed to go through your Bible and find a prophet more spiritual than Isaiah. We know Daniel's up there. But you know, when these men came face-to-face with God, they were in awe. It's amazing how they forgot who they were because they were absolutely in awe. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, Isaiah says, We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us. Jeremiah would talk about being undone because he dwelt with the people with unclean lips. These great prophets that did great things, that preached great messages, when they came face to face with God, realized, man, I I am absolutely nothing. Uh, I have given my life to the Lord, but I really have nothing to offer him. It was an honor. It was a privilege because God is worthy. While these lepers, they come to God, they say, we got nothing to offer. We got zero features. Would you take us? And God says, absolutely, I will have you. But then I want you to consider next their fidelity. So we move from their fortuitousness to their, uh, to their features. Let's look at their fidelity here. The Bible tells us, and by that I mean their commitment. Jesus says in verse number 14, go show yourselves unto the priests. That's what cleansed lepers do. Every once in a while, uh, they would be healed. Some by miracle and and some by uh, whatever. But when you felt that you were cleansed of your leprosy, you had to go present yourself to the priest. And then the priest would declare you clean. And so they're kind of putting the cart before the horse here. Jesus says... Uh, Go show yourselves unto the priests. And the Bible says they went. They went. This is what I mean, meant by their commitment. They hadn't received anything yet, yet God says this is what you need to do. So they went. Say, well, that is a, that is a, a great illustration of faith not necessarily it's a great illustration of they want something so they're willing to do whatever to get it the bible says they went and they were cleansed here is what i want you to understand this morning because many people will say well they were cleansed were they all saved no later the bible jesus says that one of them was made whole that was the one out of the ten the thing about biblical principles 
is no matter who applies them, they will benefit. Biblical principles benefit everyone. Look at how long biblical principles has benefited the United States of America. And the bulk of the United States of America hasn't been saved even through history. We know this, Thomas Jefferson was, uh, wasn't saved, admittedly. There were many who, who, who were, many of our forefathers, but many who were not. Benjamin Franklin was not. But you know, they benefited from biblical principles. A lost man benefits from biblical principles. Do you know according to statistics, let's just, let me just give you an example. According to statistics, no matter who you are, if you save yourself for marriage, that is, you don't live a life of fornication. If you don't sleep with anyone before you are married and your partner does the same thing, your chances of divorce lessen greatly. Whether you're saved or not. Why? Because it's a biblical principle. The Bible says that the will of God for each and every one of us is that we abstain from fornication. And if you abstain from fornication and you marry someone who also has statistically, you have a great chance of that marriage lasting. On the other hand... It doesn't matter if you're saved or if you're lost, but if you live a promiscuous life before you're married, you've just increased your chance of your marriage not lasting. Now, you may not like those numbers. You may not like those statistics, but they're proven statistics because biblical principles work even on the lost person. And so when these men went to show themselves to the priest, obeying God. God's word never returns void. God's word always works. I've had people come to Corridor Baptist Church and seen them implement biblical principles into their lives. And see their lives cleaned up because they're willing to implement those biblical principles. But many of them also will do the same thing that the nine did. As soon as they got what they wanted, they're gone. They're out of here. We've had people come to church and even make professions so they could ask for money after it was all said and done. I personally witnessed throughout my ministry and even as a kid growing up, guys coming to church for girls, making professions, doing whatever they were told to do, even getting baptized so that they could get those girls and oftentimes marry those girls and then later revealed they only did it for the girl and it worked. People will do oftentimes whatever necessary to get what they want. And all 10 of these individuals wanted their leprosy gone. This is the danger of saying, pray this prayer if you want to go to heaven. There needs to be a realization. 
that salvation is a result of us realizing I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But they went, they got what they wanted. Nine of them went their merry way. And one of them actually came back. So I want you to look at the fourth thing this morning, their fate, their fortuitousness. How fortunate to have a chance meeting with the Lord, their features. They asked the Lord, would you do this? We have nothing to offer. And Jesus said, I want to do it. Their fidelity, their commitment. Boy, they were committed until they got what they wanted. But look at their fate. Let's look at them before their meeting with Christ. They were without hope. The Bible tells us, verse number 12 of Luke chapter 17, And as he entered, entered into a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers. You know, one of the things you did not want to hear in those days when you went in to go get the mark on your forehead checked or maybe you had some itchy skin and some flaking and boy, the last thing that you wanted to hear is, I got bad news. It's leprosy. Leprosy was a death sentence. In rare cases, people got over it. But for the most part, it just meant this. Your life is only going to get worse and worse and worse until you have no life at all. It was a death sentence. It was a sentence of hopelessness. It was a sentence of misery, rottenness, painful death. They did not have the drugs that we do today to make people comfortable. They had to live with it. And that was all that they had to look forward to. And so here are these ten lepers, lepers without hope. And in walks Jesus and offers them some hope. But we are much like these lepers in that before we are saved, we are also without hope. Remember what we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 12. The time that we were without Christ, we were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers from the covenant promise, having no hope and without God in the world. By the way, if you're without God in this world, you're going to be without God in the next. And that is hopelessness. The one who came back, however... Jesus says this in verse number 19. Arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. You know, the meaning of the word here comes from a Greek word. It means to save, to deliver, or protect. And Jesus says your faith has saved you. Your faith has given you hope. Your, your, your faith will protect you. Your faith will deliver you. You know, by coming back and worshiping the Lord, this leper got more than he bargained for. Some would say, well, 
this looks like salvation by works to me. You know, Jesus said that the works were a result of his faith. Remember, faith without works is dead. His faith was demonstrated in his actions. This was not a works-based salvation. It was a faith-producing works. James chapter 1, or I'm sorry, James 2.18, Yea, man may uh, say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works. I'll show you my faith by my works. What of the others? Preacher, do you believe that they were saved? You know, I'm going to let the Lord sort that one out. But the Bible does say, by their fruits shall you know them. The other nine seemed to be those individuals who came to Christianity not to be saved, but for the benefits. And Christianity has many benefits. And those who go to church and those who serve. As a matter of fact, I saw a survey the other day. This was kind of interesting. It said that during this pandemic that they took and they surveyed a bunch of people from different different uh, uh, areas of life. And, and this was recently, so it was right after the election. And according to this survey, now I don't, don't, I don't put a whole lot in, 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 in a lot of these surveys, but I found this one very interesting. There were two groups of people that were actually happy today. The one group, <laughs> Democrats, strange enough. But, you know, this was right after the election, so, you know, their Messiah was, uh, was uh, he rose from the basement and, and somehow won the election. And so they're happy. But the other group, this was really interesting. Those who attend church regularly was the other group the rest of the the rest of the country is wallowing in misery <laughs> but democrat you know i don't even like saying that because that puts us all in the same almost in the same bed doesn't it but nonetheless people who attend church regularly why well, obviously, as I said, Democrats have hope their Messiah has risen from the basement. But those who attend church regularly are always hearing hope. They're being reminded of the hope. You know, there's a reason the word of God says. And it's interesting that, that was dur that's during the pandemic when we're really not supposed to be attending church. But those who attend regularly are still among those who are happy. Why? Because biblical, biblical precepts work. Biblical principles, they work. God's word does not return void. But let's not, let us not ignore the most important biblical principle of all. And that is that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Do you want to be made whole this morning? Oh, Jesus can do it. Oh, Jesus can fix your life without you being saved. He can fix parts of your life, things in your life. But why not give him your life? 
so that he can fix not only your life, but your eternity. And afterwards, how about being among the one? Not denying ungrateful, who even though they were cleansed and even though they saw the benefits of God, decided they were too busy to be grateful. Jesus says, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Where are the rest of them? They are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger, a Samaritan. And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Your fruit has revealed who you are. This man was a believer. As for the other nine, only the Lord knows. But their fruits seem to indicate not believers, but individuals who wanted something from God, got it, and then continued on their merry way. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and, and every eye closed, 